David Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is language. Tyler Grant is here. Tyler and I used to work together, but then he left. Now he works at another company. So, Tyler, first of all, thank you for making time this evening. Second of all, would you tell the folks who you are? Uh, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been working in the Agile space now for about five years my journey has been, I would say, a little bit all over the place. I've worked um, in in the government space. I've worked in the private sector. Um, I've worked as a consultant, and now I'm working, um, you know, in industry. Uh, so it's it's been kind of uh, you know uh, a myriad of different uh, exploratory experiences for me when it comes to how I've interacted with Agile. Um, but right now, currently, I'm working as a Scrum master and enjoying it a lot. Okay, and did you start out as a Scrum Master? I mean, you said five years, so have you done other gigs or was it just Scrum Master the whole time? You know, so a lot of it has, has really depended on, um, you know, especially early in my career, needs of the client. Um, you know, I, I had some teams, especially that I was working with, that were huge. So a lot more, uh, a lot of the work I was ending up doing was orchestrating all of this content and, you know, backlogs that were being produced by these teams. You know, we'd have know 10 15 teams and you know only a few people to help manage what they were the work they were intaking so things like that um you know now it's more more the traditional scrum master role but a lot of it's just been really really here and there so okay cool um and your topic is about language but i figured it's probably best to let you introduce your main focus so yeah so uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, for a long time, I've been really interested in this idea of how we speak, especially when it's in a business or a professional context. I know that everyone has probably heard their fair share of people talking about synergy or, um, you know, someone leveraging resources to do something. And it can be kind of head scratching to understand some of this vernacular that people use. Um, and so what I wanted to kind of dig into was why do people talk this way? How does it impact our understanding uh, of other people on our teams, how it impacts those teams, and what are ways that we can maybe think more consciously about communication that allow us to maybe be more straightforward and honest with each other, especially in a work setting, um, and in ways that help us help a team really gel together and be more productive. Okay. So you're focusing, I mean, the, the, from the examples that you gave, are you focusing mostly on the sort of generic, popular words, synergism, things like that? Or does this also include words like agile, <laughs> pivot, <laughs> algorithm, or my, my current favorite pet peeve is machine learning, which people seem to throw about like they can't get it out of their mouth enough every day. Oh, yeah. So I actually, you, you've hit on one of my main points, actually, which is I think there's a really big difference between when we think about what people use as technical language and what people use as maybe more in vogue language. Okay. You know, if I'm talking to a doctor, they're going to use specific words that I may be not familiar with, right? But they went to med school, they studied, and those words have a really specific meaning. You know, if someone is talking about having a, having, someone having a cardiac arrhythmia, that's a very specific thing, right? And it means something, even if I don't know what it means, and they can explain it to me. But a lot of times, buzzwords can lack some of that background, right? If I'm talking about a resource, well, it's not really clear. Am I talking about um, literally a pile of papers? Am I talking about funding? Am I talking about a person? 
it's not really clear unless you have more context. Whereas a lot of this more technical language doesn't need context. It just has a specific meaning. Um, likewise, in many cases, unless there are changes that happen in a, in a given field, whether it's in the tech space or any other space, um, technical language is pretty standard and stays the same, right? It's going to keep meaning the same thing versus a buzzword is kind of more, um, it, it kind of comes and goes. You know, when was the last time you heard someone talk about finding synergies at work seriously and not as kind of like a joke? You know, they're, they're kind of of the moment phrases and terminology. Yeah, which has been replaced with algorithm. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, you know, you, you've hit on that too, where you can see these terms that we think of them as having this really specific meaning, but they've been kind of co-opted by different groups to mean something else. I mean, honestly, I think Agile is a really interesting case study because there are things in Agile that, that mean things, right? You know, having a stand-up is a thing. A retrospective is a thing, right? And it has a meaning to it. But there's other terms and phrases that you hear fairly frequently that maybe aren't quite as grounded. Okay. I have so many places I want to go with this conversation. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start. And I'm probably going to try to start a couple arguments along the way, which I hope is okay with you. No, that's perfect. Um, all right. You just talked about the meaning that these things have. They have actual meaning. And I'm wondering if if you think that the meaning becomes corrupted by use. The, these words start out, you, you mentioned cardiac arrhythmia, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's got a very specific medical meaning. And I'm going to come back to that later on with my questions, but that could start out the same way that machine learning or MVP or mm -hmm. pivot started out. They had a very specific intention, but they've been co-opted by so many people and misused by so many people who have just barely a cursory understanding do those words, I'm sure synergism meant something to somebody at some point. <laughs> but now it's just like this hand wavy filler word. Um, do you sure. think that the words, are they able to maintain their integrity or does that collapse? Um, so, and, and, I, and I guess I should caveat here too. Um, I'm not a linguist, um, you know, and at the end of the day, all words are made up. You know, someone decided that they were going to say that this word meant a thing. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, there's there's words we use in popular. They're all, they're all a finger pointing at the moon. That's exactly right. So I want to I want to kind of caveat and say that when we talk about words that have this like a quote unquote specific meaning, a lot of times that is, you know, you know, you, you take a, a specific word and it'll have roots in Latin or Greek um, and, you know, ties back to like, that's why we picked that word, because it meant. The, the bit different pieces of it meant a different thing, but yeah. I don't want to get, I'm not going to go, want to go too far down that rabbit hole because I am not. Well, I think it's so, okay. well, hold on though. So you're not a linguist, but you're somebody who works with people, uses these words. You're around mm -hmm. these words all the time. I'm not a linguist either, um, but we are impacted by, I mean, I think it's fair for yes. us to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I mean, to get back to your, uh, your original question, I think that especially when you're talking about this kind of, change in meaning, um, when you see people, when you see different communities co-op the term, what I would say is a lot of times those words are used outside of their original context. Yeah. So if you talk to a data engineer who is working with machine learning and different algorithms to build, you know, some kind of model, when they talk about machine learning, they're being really specific. But if you take it to someone who maybe doesn't have that background, um, then it's going to get a little bit more muddy. 
and and for me, one of the biggest places that you kind of find this this vector for this language, you know, when it's very technical, there's generally either a course of study or a, a methodology through which this language is introduced into use, right? So for instance, for a doctor, they go to medical school and they learn all this stuff and that's how they learn these words and what they mean. You know, if you're an engineer, you've probably gone to school for that or you've taken classes to learn a specific language or a specific, uh, a specific field versus when they get kind of pulled out of that specific, more technical space, they don't, they don't bring that knowledge with them. Okay. So do you think we have a responsibility to correct those who are misusing? Like when I, for one, another one of my pet peeves is the 80, 20 rule. It drives me nuts when people use mm-hmm. that because most of them don't know where it comes from or what it is, or, you know, they have some vague sense of it and they just use it. Um, should we right. be correcting that or should we just let it go? So my, my personal perspective is that it requires some kind of addressing from the team. Okay. Um, if the team wants to use a specific term and it's maybe outside its original context, as long as there is a shared understanding on the team about how they're going to use it, then that can be fine. But to take it back to one of my other examples, when people talk about resources, it's so broad, it's so vague that it can be really hard to decide, well, our team's gonna use it this way, especially when you're talking in the context of a broader organization as well. Um, Should this be decided at the organizational level then? So I was was gonna say, that's actually a really interesting point. Um, You have kind of this mentality about, well, you have an organization and let's say you decide on definitions for different terms, but then you hire in 10 new people. Do you have a plan to introduce them to your usage of those terms, term, terms and terminology? If you don't, then over time, the way you define that term is going to be watered down, right? It's going to be less precise and less specific because people will be introduced into the organization who haven't been exposed to that context. So you have to really, really thoughtful about how you set up a model like that. You know, you see with people, how, how people use acronyms all the time. Yeah. Every organization has a million acronyms and it's really fun to ask someone who just uses an acronym, what it stands for. And they don't know what it stands for, but they know what it means kind of, but it's because there isn't, there isn't a methodology. Okay. Maybe there is a big list of all these acronyms or all these terms, Yeah. but if there's no way to introduce people to them, then it's almost useless. Okay, so let's say that an or, that I have an organization and I decide that um, we're going to standardize definitions for algorithm, machine learning, MVP, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I create those at the corporate level and they're fed down to the teams. I can see where somebody would, you know, somebody who's feeling a little uppity about their agility would, would raise issue with that because to tell the team what language to use is a little bit like telling them how many hours a point is supposed to equal. It takes right. away some of their self-organization. So I agree with you. I think normalizing is good. I'm just trying to like poke at this from as many angles as possible because um, I agree with everything that you're saying. So how do we sort our way through that? How do we maintain the independence of the team but still establish corporate norms? My argument would be that 
the way you do that is you move, and, and this is going to maybe be a little bit of a pivot. You move, you oh, try look and- look at that. You use the word <laughs> thing. Look at me. Um, <laughs> it, it, is maybe moving away from some of this jargon because technical language can be really helpful when you're trying to solve us, tackle a specific problem. Right. But when you are in a situation where you need to be really clear cut about what's going on, sometimes this jargon can really hide negative things that are happening on a team or can be used to kind of create these groups where it's like, well, we all know what this means and you don't. Right. We're, we're in, we, we have more of the locus of power here. And, you know, the, the example I like to give is well, if I say, you know, we really need to be re-leveraging our resources to create a more, uh, you know, nimble and agile workspace. Yeah. Like, what, what does that mean? That it's just this big mess versus if I say, we have to, we have to fire people because we just need to have smaller teams and there isn't as much work. Yeah. One of those things is really clear and the other isn't. And it's, you know, I'm not saying that all of this jargon and all of these kind of like trendy words are bad, but you need to be, you need to really think about why you're going to use them. And especially from a, if you want to establish them at an organizational level, what is the value associated with establishing that as a term for your org? Is there really a reason you're doing it? Or do you want to just try and legislate to your point? So one of the things that drove me nuts when I started doing Scrum was was language. There was a lot of stuff. I come from a project management background, and part of my whole approach towards teaching project management has always been to dumb it down, like make it as simple as possible. So I would never say refactoring. I would say fix. And Mm -hmm. I got in trouble for that at one of my clients. They were like, you you have to use the right words. And I wouldn't call them ceremonies. I'd just call them meetings. Um, Yeah. Now I feel differently about those terms than I did in the beginning. But in the beginning, I was trying to be really cautious because I knew that I didn't fully grasp the intention behind those terms. I mean, I knew vaguely what they meant. Um, But I I run across a lot of people who can't start spitting out those words fast enough because they're just trying to seem like they know what they're talking about. I mean, do you run across that? And what kind of caution would you offer those people that, that feel compelled to use these words because they think it's part of how you have to speak, even if they don't understand the words? Yes. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess maybe maybe you just, you just read the 10-page thing I wrote down. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what happens a lot of times, and, I, and I've seen this um, for, throughout my career, you have somebody who's read some new hot blog where they're talking about some term or some thing and they really think it's cool and they want to bring it into a space, but maybe they didn't really quite get it or they heard someone else mention a term and they want to use it. That kind of thing is rampant. And one of the things that I've found is the quickest way, and and I'm speaking from a Scrum Master perspective here, Right, right? right? The quickest way to lose um, space with your team to lose credibility with a team, especially one that is hesitant about agile is to start throwing around those words because that's what all the coaches do, man. Oh yeah. It, and, and what, what, what the team hears is that you don't really know what you're talking about. You don't really want to implement change. You want to say all this stuff that sounds really nice, but just tell me to your point, tell me what you want. 
Yeah. Well, I need you to come to this meeting and we're going to call it a ceremony because that's, that's part of this scrum thing, but it's really just a meeting so that your team can talk to each other about what they're working on. And you know, when you say it to them like that, they say, Oh, I get that. Yeah. But if you come and say, well, we're going to have ceremonies and you're going to do retro. It is overwhelming to a team when you use those terms, especially in a context that they haven't been exposed to. And especially when it's really things that aren't connected to a lot of what we consider maybe quote unquote core agile, right? Things that people are kind of expanding the space with. And maybe those terms will become more solid at some point, but you know, right now it can be really alienating to use that kind of terminology. Okay. So I'll try to give you, and I might, I might edit this out just to save face, but I'll just, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, I, I have a lot of places I teach and I go in to teach a CSM or a CSPO course. Mm-hmm. And I find that the people in the room will be explaining to me how they're using Agile and they're like, well, in my tribe, da 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 Or they're talking about, I mean, I, I hear people mixing the words from different forms of Agile together, mm-hmm. um, thinking they're the same thing. I mean, do you recommend that as a team or an organization, we should just level set on all this stuff? Oh man, now that's a tough question. And because that would be up to the, like if the team decides we're just going to like lock these words down, is that okay? And does it actually, would it actually work even? I would say that you could probably do it at the team level. I think it's really hard to do it depending on the size of the organization, right? If your organization is a hundred people, you probably could lock in for the whole org that we're going to call this kind of meeting this, and we're going to call this kind of planning session this, and you know, this is how we're going to frame our backlogs and things like that. You could probably do that. But if you start scaling to 500, 1,000, 10,000 people orgs, you're going to find pockets of, of different experiences. And if you can go into a team, sit down with them and say, how do we want to talk about this? What is going to be the most effective way to use this terminology in a way that's providing value that is allowing the team to keep that autonomy that you mentioned earlier and really self-organize into something that can be really effective with a little bit of help of some of this process stuff. Yeah. That to me, it, it has to come from the team. And, you know, maybe let's say like if you're doing you know, safe or something, and you've got a release train, if you want to norm across the release train, I think maybe that's, that's something you could do. You could have that conversation because you have a venue for that, right? You, your, your art is going to come together and you're going to have that conversation. If you're doing safe. Yeah. But, and, but like, once again, that's in a very specific situation. If you're not, and maybe there isn't as much legislation from the org, then more complicated and maybe you do need to have really strong people who can work with these teams and at least build those standards to start with okay so establish some kind of basic ground rules i mean there's i think there's another aspect to to it too if you're a scrum master your job is to help the team communicate well um, and help and interact with the product owner and i think there's a big part of me that agrees with everything that you're saying and says yeah it's really just make it as simple as possible um Another aspect of that, though, is they're going to have to, you're going to have to find a way to instill in your team, if, you know, if it's not there already, the confidence to not use the fancy words. 
because I know that 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 is something that I have to consciously make myself do. It would be easier to use the words of, you know, the current lingo or whatever, but I am trying purposely to make it as simple and basic as I can. And I know that there's people in the room going, why is he not using this word? Mm -hmm. And, and so that might chip away at my credibility a little bit. Like you've got to be confident enough to not bring out the guns. And, and it's tough sometimes to kind of draw a line where you say, this is the terminology that I want to use. And here's some things we all carry baggage from our careers, right? Whether yeah. you've worked in different fields and you've picked up terminology that maybe people in your new field aren't familiar with. It is something that you have to be really conscious about when you think about how you're talking and speaking with someone. Um, you know, when, especially when we start talking about teams that are hesitant or new to adopt some process, there's low trust in that situation and you have to build that trust. And for me, this language thing is really tightly tied with how high the trust is on your team. You know, the example I gave before when you oh, were re-leveraging resources, yeah. it takes guts to say, we're going to have to fire some people or we're going to have to reorg some people and take you off the team that you really like and have you do something different because that's what the organization needs. It takes guts to get up and stand in front of someone and tell them that versus yeah. the flowery language. And then maybe in an email to an individual, you say, well, actually you're on this team. Now. That's you know? Yeah. So not it, a brave it, way to do things. Oh, so, and, and I think what it comes down to is what level of psychological safety does your team feel and how is the, the language and the words that you use either helping to foster psychological safety or hurting that, right? How are you letting people feel about their interaction with the scrum master or with their product owner? Do they feel like their product owner doesn't really understand what they're talking about? You know, so it, it, there, there's this whole, it's all kind of interconnected and it starts with how we talk to each other. Are we just being truthful and honest and bringing out the information that's there? And at the end of the day, yeah, there's going to be some terminology that someone's going to have to learn when they join a team because every team has their own unique situation. They're working on their own unique things and you're going to have to learn some things. But if you understand that that's going to happen, then you can make that transition so much easier and really bring someone in with much lower pain than you would otherwise. Okay. Are you ready for a little bit of an argument now? I love one. Okay. So you just mentioned psychological safety, and that brought me back to the thing that first popped into my head when you, when you introduced your first example. You talked about doctors, and you talked about uh, cardiac arrhythmia, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I have known doctors who I have felt very confident were throwing jargon at me as a defensive mechanism. And I know that when I had a more sophomoric version or understanding of some terms, I have done the same. And I am a big believer that, you know, words can be used for different meaning, for different ends or towards different ends. I can completely see where I would craft my language with great mindfulness in order to shut someone down, shut them up, put them in their place, or just keep them from asking questions. And I would say that sometimes as a scrum master or a project manager, 
that is a very smart choice to make. And I'm curious to see how you would respond to that. Yeah. So you're, you're right. You know, sometimes there's someone who is maybe they want to go down a pathway that's not productive to the current meeting that you're having or the conversation that's going on. And you need sometimes to be able to redirect, right? I would argue that that is more a product of your understanding of the space and the need to direct the conversation the rather to than be in control and not trust. Well, it's, it, I would say it's more about, I would say domain experience and mastery. Okay. You know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of uh, this whole thing that part of the, part of the job of a scrum master is to, you know, interact with the team and the product owner, right. Yeah. And to, to help, you know, deal with those people. And I would say that that side of things does sometimes require maybe a little bit of a guiding hand. Um, and I wouldn't say that that necessarily means that you, you know, are trying to not allow any discussion, but sometimes there are better venues or times for discussion than others, right? Okay. And, and, and kind of driving towards that kind of thing. And what I would say too, you're kind of saying, you know, you've had doctors throw jargon at you, um, and they're saying, like, if you have, you know, some things like, well, you could have just said that in plain English. You didn't need to use the super technical term. So I was confused about what you're talking about. Um, I, I would say a lot of times that is um, an example of someone being a little uncertain about their own mastery. Um, I, I can't remember who the quote's by. But who would be the uncertain one, the patient or the doctor? I would say potentially the doctor, especially if they're giving a diagnosis about something they're uncertain about. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to hear them throw out terminology that maybe is going to be a little confusing. Um, I, one of my, I can't remember who said the quote now, but um, you know, if you can't explain something um, using simple language, you aren't a master of it. Yeah. Um, and I actually remember hearing Neil deGrasse Tyson talk. I, this is, this was years ago. And someone asked him, it's like, well, you, you can understand how black hole works from a mathematical perspective, but when you explain it to people, you don't use the math. Do you feel like you are dumbing down the conversation for the sake of the, your audience? And he said, absolutely not. I can describe how a black hole works using plain language that doesn't require any math that is functionally accurate, but there is another level of understanding that requires a technical expertise. That doesn't mean that the, the kind of surface level understanding that's being expressed is wrong. It's just the top layer. There are other layers underneath. And I think that's true with a lot of language, right? Sometimes, okay, we can use this surface level, but if we need to really get into the, the nuts and bolts, yeah, we do need to be able to have use that language and have that conversation. Okay. Well, what about with stakeholders? Like, let's say I go into a sprint review and they're expecting words like synergy and I don't know, whatever, whatever word of the day you want to throw in there. And I don't use that because I'm trying to make it really basic. I mean, this goes back to that thing where they might be looking down on me and thinking, this guy's got no game. He didn't use the fancy words. Yeah. There's, there's a political impact, I think, of, of this as well. Like you choose your words for meaning and intent, but you have to understand that there is a ripple. Yes. That's absolutely correct. And, and what I would say is I would take this back to the caveat I made near the beginning of the podcast. I'm not a linguist and I can't necessarily address every situation because to your point, language carries meaning beyond just what we, just the specific word, right? There's yeah. connotations to different, to, to different words. If I say something is incredible versus something is great or good, those 
all ostensibly mean the same thing, but we read and understand them to mean somewhat different things. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Um, in the situation you specifically described with a stakeholder and like, well, why isn't this person, maybe this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. They're not using all the fancy $10 words. Right. I would say that that is, I would say that's potentially outside the scope of what I'm, I I wouldn't say outside the scope, but I would say what I'm describing is maybe more aspirational than reality. Everyone has political things they have to deal with in their organizations. Well, we hope not everybody, but probably most people in any kind of organization of a given size is going to have to deal with different personalities and different shifts in authority. Um, And that means that you have to be able to, you know, kind of respond to that. Um, But at the end of the day, I would love it if we could get to a place where everyone could be honest and straightforward about how they're feeling about something. And, you know, if I could have a product owner come up to me and say, Hey, uh, I actually think the way the team is organizing their stories is totally garbage and you're doing, well, maybe not totally garbage, but I think that there could maybe be a better way we could go about this. I would love to hear them just come out and say that rather than work behind the scenes yeah. to try and change things rather than just coming to me directly. Okay. I don't know if you're, if I, if I buy that you're, um, you know, you see, I presented a situation. You said, I'm not an expert. You know, your people are going to do what they have to do. But I think if you are very intentional and mindful about your language and the words that you choose to use, like to me, that's all I would ask for from somebody. You know what the words mean, know which words you're selecting and why. If thinking about a sender receiver model, if your job is to make sure the message is, is understood as it was intended when you crafted the message, then different words are going to unlock different doors for different people. Now, my, my caveat to, to what you were saying, you kind of already touched it was you need to understand your audience. Yeah. You know, different audiences will react to different language in markedly vastly different ways. Um, and if you understand that, then you can craft and tailor the way you speak to those audiences. So you know, maybe if you are in a high level stakeholder meeting, you know, it's like if you're presenting metrics, when you're talking to the VP, the vice president or your manager, you're going to show different levels of granularity of the data. Yeah. Data is all still there, but one person doesn't need to know, well, my, my team did 20 points, story points this sprint and this to, well, there's 50 teams under you, so we're going to go through all of them, and we're going to go through the lot. They don't need that. But maybe the people manager does want to see that. And okay. I would say it's just kind of knowing your audience and, and being able to understand, understanding what they will understand out of what you say. Okay. Once again, it ties back to having that shared understanding. If you know that everyone in the room is going to react the same way and have the same understanding to when you talk about leveraging something or something like that, then it's fine to use that kind of language as long as everyone knows what it means. The problem becomes when you have people who are either new to an organization or are feeling ostracized because people are using language that they don't know. Yeah. And that starts to become a problem. So I had a gig at a, a very large retail company and I was doing a workshop on agility for managers. And I, 
starting to do goal setting with them at the beginning of the session. And one of the guys said, look, I'm a vice president. All I want, I just want to not feel stupid when I try to talk to agile people because those <laughs> words I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a big, I think that's a big part of it is trying to spread the understanding and help people get their heads around this stuff. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think there is a set of terminology that is widespread enough that can be used in most situations when we're talking about agile. But again, there's going to start to, it starts to matter what level of granularity you know about it you need to know about it. Yeah. VP, they know what Scrum is and they can understand what a retrospective is and maybe a few other things. Eh, they're probably going to be fine. But the product owner probably needs to have a little bit better idea of what a sprint planning session looks like and that and the Scrum Master too than that VP. Yeah. So it's about tailoring the language and understanding to the level that you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. I have just a couple more questions and then I'll let you go. Um, okay. So you're putting this topic together. You know, you're working on giving talks on it. What is your, what is the outcome? What are the people? What do you want people to walk away with? Because to me, it's a really compelling topic, and it can be pulled at from many different sides. Um, and, and no matter what side you pull on, it's an awesome conversation. <laughs> at the end of the day, what I want people to take away is just a greater mindfulness of how they speak. Because I think that people fall into certain patterns in different points of their life, you know, whether it's at work or with your friends or when you're out, um, you know, out at a bar, you're going to speak a different way. And just maybe thinking a little bit about why you're speaking a certain way and why you're using certain words um, beyond what you do on a probably average day to day. Okay. Um. I'm curious if you apply this. So for, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. You're talking about being more mindful with, with language, and I'm assuming that's like a daily constant practice for you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. So one of my big things with managing work is, is the book, The Art of War, because I believe that's the only book you ever need. <laughs> and when I was trying to learn how to use all the tools in that book, the, you know, I, I was sheepish about trying them at work. Like people might agree with everything you're saying about language and want to be more intentional, but they might be nervous about taking this on at work. So they might be inclined to try it at home. And the first thing I learned about the art of war was do not try this at home. It will not work. It will blow up in your face. So you're married. I know you're married, right? Do you apply this? level of focus to your language, are you able to apply it at home and does it work? I would say that what I'm applying out of this topic is maybe a little more benign okay. than some of the uh, <laughs> the advice given in Art of the Art of War. No, um, no, but I mean, it's all it's all about interaction and relationships. So yeah, it all applies everywhere. I want to try and always, especially if there is, you know, a disagreement yeah. I want to make sure that I don't say something that I don't mean. Okay. I want to make sure that the language I use is for a reason and for a purpose. And so if that means that it takes me an extra second to make sure I say just the right thing, I do that. Um, and, you know, if I'm just, you know, hanging out with friends and, you know, it's a very 
casual situation. Am I thinking quite as hard about it as I would if I was in a professional setting? I would say no, okay. but I do still try and think a little bit about why did I phrase it that way? You know, yeah. why did I say it like that instead of maybe like this? Yeah. And, and you know, maybe it, it's, it's more of a reflective thing, you know, in the aftermath, but I, I do try and, you know, certain phrases, terminologies, I try to avoid. Um, and that's just all on, on me, right? It's my own personal ethos. It's how, how I've decided I want to speak. Yeah. Um, and working towards that. So I find, um, I have found, as we've been talking through this, I'm thinking about all the times earlier and earlier in my career, and, and I'm sure it still happens, that I use words that I think I'm being very precise. And then later I find out, oh, I totally did not know what that word meant. <laughs> Does that happen to you? Absolutely. Okay. So it, it so happens I, to everybody. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's really funny too, because there's the way I chart it in my brain is when I first started working as a consultant in the government space, I was like mad that there were people were using all these terms. I had no idea. I had no idea what they meant. People were throwing yeah, out right? miles an hour. I'm like, this is dumb. Why can't people just speak more plainly and clearly? <laughs> and then I kind of hit a point where I was like, well, but now I know all the big words. Yeah. And I'm going to start using them. And then I think there was a, there was a voice in my head that was like, Tyler, no, don't be an don't, 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 don't do that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, kind of, I've kind of tried to start to be more self-reflective and focus on how I speak in a professional setting, especially as I've, I've kind of moved through my career. Yeah. Um, but I definitely did hit a point where I was like, all right, I feel confident, I feel good. I'm real. I've, I've, I've been doing this specific gig for a little while now. I know the people, I know the the acronyms. And then yeah. I think it was like one day someone was like, Hey, what does that stand for about an acronym? And I just didn't know. I knew what team it was talking about and the work they were doing, but I couldn't say what each letter stood for. And I was like, Oh, I, maybe I need to think a little bit about this. This isn't great. I think, yeah. I mean, I, this whole topic I think is really important because especially for scrum masters, I mean, a big part of your job is finding ways to hack people and language yeah. is a massive component of that. And the self-reflection part that to me, that's like the biggest part of being a scrum master that I think gets not nearly enough play. You have to always be self-monitoring what you're well, saying. We, how force, you're saying it. we force our teams to do retrospectives. Why should we not do the same for ourselves and how we handle those interactions? Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Last question. Then I'm going to let yeah. you go. Um, mm -hmm. What is your current, if you're willing to say, your current pet peeve for the words that people are over or misusing? I actually do have one. Okay. One, I've been hearing it recently. It's anti-pattern. Okay. Um, and I, so I, I was hearing it and contextually I was getting it. So the way I've heard people use it is to mean a negative pattern. Yeah. Negative behavior. Right. However, if you just look at it from an, etym an etymological perspective, it kind of sounds like it means there's no pattern. And I did some research and it looks like it actually comes out of some, uh, some software development space, but I've been hearing people use it outside that context. And I have seen actually several people be extremely confused by what someone meant when they said anti-pattern. 
um, because they were, does that mean that there's no pattern to this data that there's, or that there's a negative pattern, right? To your point. And yeah. it was, it was so funny because I like, I heard it in a context. So like, okay, I get it. But then shared without that context, it was meaningless or I guess confusing is probably the better term to someone who wasn't there for the original conversation. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing, especially if you're working in agiles, there's so much jargon mm -hmm. uh, and you'll look some of it up, but some of it, you're just going to let glide by. I yeah. mean, probably months that I was hearing people talk about cargo cults before I actually looked up what it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I just let it go. Like, you know, I'll figure it out from the context, but I think that that is a really important thing. We have to always be researching that. Um, and if you're going to use terms like that, uh, make sure everybody understands what they mean. Take the time out. Of yeah. Cool. If everybody knows what it means, then you're good. And you can pivot. Yeah, that's right. You just need an algorithm, you know, some machine learning and algorithm so that we can. Okay. Um, so folks wanted, this was, first of all, thank you. This was a really cool conversation. I don't get to talk about language enough, so I'm grateful to you for taking time for this. If people want to get in touch with you with follow-up questions or to continue the conversation, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, so the best way right now would be to find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, linkedin.com. Um, it's Tyler-Grant. Okay. Um, is the URL. It's like slash IN dot slash. Well, yeah, I'll, put, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm very open to hearing what other people have to say about this because I am certainly not an authority. This is just what I've kind of seen and experienced. Okay. Um, and, uh, I'm also involved in, uh, if you, if you live in the Northern Virginia area, there's a number of great agile, uh, groups that are active here that I'm also active in. So if you'd like to meet them, um, I'd be happy to do that. Cool. And I'm going to encourage folks to put in the, sh in the comments area for the show notes, um, whatever the words that you find to be the most perplexing or irritating or overused are, maybe we can start to keep like a big list of yes, I would love words that. to watch out for. Uh, <laughs> cool. Dude, this was great. Thank you very much for this. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Dave. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. 